Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Friday edition is here for Outkick 360, live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network with Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, and a full cast of all of the Outkick crew making the show happen for us, including Jacob Swanson, Jonathan Moulton, and David Reed, who is the chairman of the board. Jam-packed show today, Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist Willie Anderson uh, of the Cincinnati Bengals will join us in 20 minutes. Looking forward to that conversation. We'll chat with Bobby Carpenter at 3.20 Central Time, 4.20 Eastern uh, from Outkick.com on all things college football playoff expansion or the lack thereof. We'll tell you about that in just a moment. And then Brent Hubs and Austin Price of AllQuest.com discuss the latest on Tennessee athletics and specifically Tennessee football moving forward into the offseason that is today at 5 o'clock Eastern. But guys, we kick things off with Wild Card Weekend. How's everyone doing? Energy is high today, Hutton. We are here at 6th and Peabody. This place is slammed. It's a weekend feel to it. I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go. I uh, expect everyone here to match my energy. Good luck, Paul. I think the anticipation <laughs> of uh, another Snowmageddon, where I, my understanding is we could get between 0 and 18 inches of snow in Nashville uh, the anticipation of that is high. I feel like people in here uh, over our shoulder are getting in that last party before the city potentially shuts down for a week. Well, if you're if we're shut in, we've got plenty of good football to watch yeah, that's, starting that's tomorrow. True. And Chad's got his game of the week uh, to watch right out of the shoot. We get to see Vegas that's take Saturday on Saturday afternoon Cincy. game, baby. That, that prime time Saturday afternoon game is the one that I want to see more than any other one this weekend. Normally, that's the game reserved it's for. I recall it being a Texans-Raiders game. Remember when year. the quarterbacks were out? It was McGloin. Oh, yeah, it was McGlo- Matt McGloin well, versus Matt McGloin. someone. Who was, who was the Texans Worst quarterback that day? Worst playoff game ever. It was terrible. That's usually that Saturday late afternoon game. Was it but Brandon Wheaton? Who was trying to think who it was? It was Brandon right? Wheaton. You're right. That's good, very good, good recall. Good recall, yeah. Matt McGloin versus Brandon Wheaton. What this is not classic. Matt McGloin versus Brandon Wheaton. This is, this is not your father's... Saturday afternoon NFL wild card game. This is my favorite that was game like of the four week. Years ago, <laughs> Vegas versus Cincinnati at three thirty. Uh, Joe Burrow versus Derek Carr. Slightly better yeah. than Matt McGloin versus no, Brandon. It Wheaton. should be great. I've got things I've got to get done, and I am not a guy who gets up on Saturday. <clears throat> I'm going to do some things tomorrow. Going to do some things Saturday to get ready for uh, for all that. So uh, I'm fired up. And uh, I agree with you. That that's going to be one of the better games of the weekend. What's your favorite game to watch, Paul, this weekend? That that's probably my favorite game. But then I think Monday night stands to be pretty good. Um, and and I, I, we, if we're doing this, um, I, I was looking. I, I was down on the Cardinals 
without DeAndre Hopkins, who's out of this game, still recovering from the knee surgery mm-hmm. that knocked him out. They're three and four without him. But if you look at what they've done on the receiving end of it, Kirk has 77 catches, Ertz full season 74, Green 54, Moore 54, Edmonds 43. Before you get to Hopkins, who missed all those games, um, who missed seven games. So they do a pretty good job of spreading the ball around, which makes this an interesting matchup to me because you look at the way the Rams play and Jalen Ramsey is usually taking away one guy. Well, I don't know in this game that you're looking at somebody saying you want to take away one guy. So do you play him aside? Do you pick a guy that you want them to take away? How the Rams approach this defensively and what they want to do to throw Kyler Murray off is of interest to me right out of the gate. Yeah, and look, some of the magic show stuff that we've seen from Kyler Murray early in the season is not paying off for them right now. You know, throwing off the back foot, just letting it rip 40 yards down the sideline is sometimes being picked, sometimes uh, falling incomplete instead of completing those passes deep. And I think that's where they're missing Hopkins the most. This is also... This game and moving forward for Arizona is why back in October, I felt as though the best trade at the deadline was Zach Ertz. It is time for that trade to pay off. And they've they've been feeding him the football uh, since they traded for him. It's not like they've ignored him, but it's time for the explosion to happen with that trade for that offense. And this game, too, everybody's very anxious to know about next week's schedule, particularly here in Nashville. Are the Titans playing Saturday? Are they playing Sunday? Well, this is the first Monday night playoff game. They want to be sure to treat the winner of this game correctly, right? And so it's going to have a big bearing on next weekend's schedule. We're not going to know next weekend's schedule until we know who wins this game and where the seedings take this team. Well, we'll know the schedule prior to this game kicking off because this this game, the Monday night game, the NFL will want the winner of that game to play on Sunday so that they don't have to turn around and play again on Saturday. We'll know the schedule, though, because if they are the lowest remaining seed, they'll four or slide, five, slash. they'll go to Green Bay. The winner of that game, yep. Yeah, and you'll know if they're going to be the lowest remaining seed before Monday morning. So, we so. Should, we'll know it uh you know, we'll know it by halftime of the Sunday night game when the Steelers are getting blown out. Now, we should, when, yeah. when they give yeah. it up, they could put a slash on that game, yeah. too. Yeah, they, and they normally will announce – you're right. They'll, they'll announce divisional round matchups and kickoff times during – at least during halftime, maybe before. Maybe it's during football night in America or whatever they're doing. My, my favorite game is Sunday afternoon, San Francisco at Dallas. And it's because of what could happen with a 49ers win. Jimmy Garoppolo knows he's going to be traded. And the talk all year is you've got Trey Lance, who is the quarterback in waiting. And all Garoppolo has done, for the most part, is win games whenever he's healthy and available. It's only setbacks been the thumb. Yeah, he's 39-20 and as the starter in San Francisco. Um, And... Uh, I mean, when you when he's he's winning double the amount of what he's lost, and if he is to take San Francisco as their quarterback on a playoff run, I don't. I mean, that leaves them with a lot of questions about moving forward because well, they, I, they it, get the run and they get big trade compensation. <laughs> well, trade compensation, or they've got their quarterback and great depth and a run game that's very versatile. It, it's a it's a very intriguing scenario, and it's also for Dallas. Time to put up or shut up here. Like, this is a matchup that they should be able to take advantage of. I think this is a San Francisco front that 
Uh, Dallas's defensive efforts can get after Garoppolo and force some turnovers. They're very opportunistic in that category. They, they have to slow down the run game. They've got to slow down uh, some of the options uh, on some screen passes and uh, run uh, yards after catch. But I, I lean towards Dallas matching up well, but I also feel like San Francisco's being overlooked a bit coming into the postseason because the last national glimpse that people got was on Thursday night football right before Christmas where they didn't play all that well and Jimmy G didn't play all that well after a quick start. I'm fascinated by the matchup because I think it's uh, strength versus strength in many cases. Dallas is never going to shut up. You've met the the owner. He was a guest of ours. He highly respected our uh, former oh, show. Yeah. They're not going to be quiet well, no matter what happens. But, but put up or shut up time for what they've invested in. Yeah. You know, they've, they've, they've finally, it took them a while, but they invested fully in Dak Prescott. They've invested in Zeke Elliott. They have uh, depth now with Pollard coming back healthy. They have uh, two young, talented, top-of-the-line A-list players and Micah Parsons and uh, Suggs. Uh, uh, Suggs, who am I thinking of? Uh, Diggs. Diggs, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Diggs. Trayvon Diggs. Uh, Trayvon Diggs. Um, in, at, at, in, what, 11 interceptions on the yeah. season? I, I, they could lose a coordinator this offseason to a right? coaching job. Yeah. So I, I can't wait for the kickoff of that game on CBS. Uh, well, Hutton, you know who agrees with you on that being the biggest game? The networks and the NFL and putting in that time slot. Uh, that is the prime spot of uh, that late Sunday afternoon game, uh, wild card weekend. And it is a traditional rivalry uh, with the 49ers and Cowboys. Big time game. That, that, they, I, the Dallas would have been in that slot regardless. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, but also, that's it helps too. Uh, it doesn't hurt, I'll say, that it's the 49ers. Um, this is personal preference. And you guys may completely disagree. Paul obviously does because he's looking forward to this game more than anyone. I have a harder time getting pumped up for round three of a divisional matchup in the first round of the playoffs. And for that reason, the the game I least am excited about is the Monday night football game between the Rams and the Cardinals. And close on the list, if it wasn't for a nighttime game with possible very cold conditions, would be Buffalo-New England round three. I, I just... That that's always one that, for whatever reason, I'm not as excited about a round three of any divisional See, matchup. I get what you're saying uh, in, but, a, in a play but in the playoffs. The, those games tend to get more heated because those guys uh, have gone against each other twice already, and so the intensity is amped up a little bit. Those games have a tendency to maybe surprise a little bit more with uh, with something going over the top, out of bounds, a foul maybe a scrum, something that, that raises the bar. So I, I always uh, like the potential for more edginess. And the thing about New England Buffalo is we've seen them twice over the last month and a half. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they played uh, like the Dolphins and Patriots started the season and ended the season, and like they would be matching up the postseason. We're completely different teams from September to December. Really, New England and Buffalo are practically exactly as they were every time we watched this game. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I hate the two close games in the regular season. But I, I think it'll be a close, uh, a closely contested game. I know the feeling is that the Bills are going to pull away from them, and the Bills should pull away from them. But I think Belichick's got to be feeling pretty good about where he's gotten this team, and uh, nobody does better in the postseason. Before we get to Willie Anderson uh, as one of our guests today. Uh, news from the ACC with their commissioner, Jim Phillips, coming out against supporting uh, the college football playoff expansion, saying it's just not the right time for the ACC 
to get on board, uh, citing a, a number of different things. But um, really, he's he's explaining in a way what I think everyone but the SEC and now the the Pac-12 are saying. It's hey, let, let's make sure before we dive deep into this that ESPN and the SEC don't have some ulterior motive with all this. So he wouldn't have pit in the playoff this year. Either way, they uh, the ACC should be completely on board if they want to get a team in the postseason not named Clemson, right? Like that, I'm thinking about the stance, and I'm, I'm not sure how the member institutions are best served by this decision um, when we all, I mean, we know expansion is coming. It's just a matter of when. And at the latest, it's going to be in 2026. Well, he's mad that the ACC signed a terrible TV contract with ESPN. They're not getting near the money of the SEC or the Big Ten in they their television contract. The they don't, but they still locked into a long-term deal that does not help them. So what they're doing now is, out of anger, Spike. Jim Phillips is, instead of doing what would help his league monetarily and help his league possibly get more teams into a, an expanded playoff, uh, he's being petty towards the whole process and saying, I'm not going to help ESPN do something that helps them because I'm mad at them and I'm mad at every other conference. This is stupidity. Now, what he says about there are big issues to be solved with NIL, with the transfer portal, uh, with you know player safety, academic schedule, all of that. Yeah, th- these are big issues. Get to work. This is why you make the big bucks. You can do more than one thing. You can say yes to a no-brainer expansion of the college football playoff. And guess what, Jimmy? You can get to work on all these other things, too. Let's start finding a regulatory body for NIL. Let's, let's, let's get rid of the NCAA and get another bunch of high-paid people to figure out these bigger problems. Let's work on officiating issues. Let's do all of these things. Earn your paycheck. I, I, I don't buy the excuse of, well, there are other things we need to be working on. Work on all of them. You can get this done relatively quickly in terms of an expanded play. We've seen all the models that have been presented. You just say yes to it, and it's better than what we have now. Go ahead and do that while also working on these bigger issues around college football and college athletics. It's not the, These are difficult issues. It's not difficult to decide to work on all of them at once. And let me go ahead and take care of one of them for you right now, Jim Phillips. Say yes to this playoff. That one's out of the way. All right, now let's move on to NIL. Let's move on to what we're going to do with the NCAA. Let's move on to the next issue. Well said. I mean, come on. I, I, I mean, how, how much time can you spend regretting the, the TV mistake and trying to make up for that? Well, it's, it's, it's no, not he's, regretting. He's, it's, it's the trust factor. No one trusts ESPN other than the SEC. That's, that's what this is about. Now, he's also not And the wrong. SEC wants the, four, they want the 12-team playoff, and there was talk a couple months ago about just expanding to six. And they, they're the SEC is completely against that. So I think the other, the other commissioners are looking into this, going, okay, why are they against that so much, but all in for that twelve-team playoff with ESPN? Well, is there much of a question to that? That's more games. Is that the SEC well, and it's will, more teams. You know, more SEC teams will get in also. Right. So they want more of their teams in, which that's fine. It also means more other conference teams get in. So. I mean, every, I, to me, everyone wins uh, under that scenario. Does the SEC win out more? Yes, but the SEC, the way it's currently positioned, will win out more in any scenario. So choose the scenario that makes you more money while keeping more of your conference teams possibly interested and engaged in making a playoff, which is expanding the playoffs. 
And he's not wrong that there are bigger issues around the sport that threaten the future of the sport and the way it's going to look three years from now, ten years from now. But this is an easy one that will help the sport, and then you can get to work on those other issues he's mentioning. It's not one or the really? other. Pitt would have been a big beneficiary of a bigger playoff field this year. Thus, the ACC would have been a, bene- a better beneficiary. Instead, Pitt's best player opted out. We didn't see him. Uh, viewership was, I'm sure, down on a bowl game that would have been one of the best that turned into one that lost two of the best players in college football. And I don't know how the ACC got much out of that. Well, with but from the business side of this, they're going to make a boatload of money. But it's about how does the how do the other conferences get a larger piece than what they currently have with the current model, which twelve of the sixteen years has produced the the SEC champion also as the national champion, and only one of the championship games has featured teams that did not have an SEC representation for the national title. They're already uh, chasing the SEC. And from a negotiation standpoint, honestly, I don't blame them for playing the only card they have in any leverage, which is to not expand until they absolutely have to or until they're going to get something back in return. Something's going to break with all of this, and there's going to be some agreement because ultimately, guys, there is just too much money at stake for the institutions as they get into the college football playoff, like Pitt and everyone else. Yeah, but I mean, the the leverage of what they could get in this if they're holding everyone hostage would be what that ESPN tears up their current contract and gives them a better one. Well, I mean, I mean, is that well, is Chad, that what the, is that let, the end game? Well, let's just put it from the ACC, Big Ten, well, however we want to look at it, perspective. Um, if you know that all but four of the championship games have featured an SEC team and you're about to go into and expand to 12, where potentially you get down to a semifinal that is all SEC, quite frankly. Um, and if that's already, if you know that it's going to happen in 2026, you might as well try to negotiate to get something better now instead of just allowing it to pass through and continue to get screwed the way that they feel they're being screwed over. I'm a football fan, and I, I want to see the expansion. I would love to see these matchups as we laid out, but I think the motive there is... This is going to happen by 2026, and un- unless they're willing to give like some automatic qualifiers or something from the conference where you're guaranteed to get a team in, we're not just going to allow ESPN and, SEC- and the SEC to decide the postseason format for college football while we have a vote, which they do right now. And in 2026, you can tear up the whole format and redo it anyway because the contract's up. I, I'll say this. I'm as untrusting of ESPN as anyone, and I would understand a distrust of a giant like ESPN pulling the strings on these things. But when you look at those college football playoff standings um, and go through the years, I don't think you'd see a lot of top 12 scenarios where it's just overrun with SEC teams because the SEC cannibalizes itself but it, it, throughout it's, the season. It's not about the top 12. It's about how does the committee view the top 12. The final rankings can come out and they can pair up whoever they want based on how they, they see the final weekend. So unless there's automatic ways to get into the postseason, the 14th team in the country can be deemed playoff worthy even though they have one more loss than another conference's best team. Yeah, but I mean that's the case. Every, that, that they rank the playoffs by this is the ranking. 
You're right? saying they're just going to sneak the 15th team in. I'm saying there's a reason spot. why Alabama and Georgia met for the title and not in the semis. Yeah, I, I look. I again, I, I don't trust ESPN a lot of this, but I, I really think, and I could go and break it out and look at it. The top 12 every year would still, regardless, it's going to feature more teams from the conferences we're talking about being left out of the national championship game right now. Even if it does lead to a Final Four that's all SEC. Um, I, I don't know. It, it, it's something that's, to me, would improve the sport. It's not going to fix oh. a lot of the problems with it, but it, it improves it. And I, it's it improves a the postseason it. because the bowl season right now is completely stale, and you get some matchups throughout the month of December that lead up to your championship game. I'm all in, I'm all for it, but I'm not condemning the commissioners for trying to get something. Some guarantees. Uh, instead of just trying to figure out the week before the playoff starts what the matchups are going to be. So, but. But it shouldn't be that complicated. Bobby Carpenter uh, up in Big Ten country will join us today. That's coming up uh, in about an hour. But when we come back. He wrote about this, by the way. Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist Willie Anderson next on Outkick 360. You're listening to us this afternoon across the radio network, or if you're viewing us on YouTube, Twitter, across the Outkick Network, we say hello and welcome. Outkick 360 rolls on Friday edition, um, and we're going to get back to some wild card matchups. Bobby Carpenter will join us. We'll get into some other playoff discussion on players who can emerge over this weekend and beyond in a, what could be a big playoff run for several potential superstars that are not. Household names just yet. We've got that topic and more coming up throughout uh, today's show. But right now, pleased to be joined by Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist Willie Anderson, who anchored the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line on that right side. And uh, he joins us now. I believe, Willie, you're in Atlanta. Welcome to the show, and we appreciate the time. Congratulations on the news that you're a finalist. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate that. What uh, as, a, as a Bengals lifer... Um, and someone that knows the history of that organization well, when you when you were on the doorstep of the hall, knowing that you can join Anthony Munoz to represent Cincinnati in the hall, and more specifically on the offensive line from the left and right side, what would that mm-hmm. signify to you? It means so much to me because it means so much to so many other people. Um, as far as our Bengal fans, and, and we have fans and former players who have just been waiting for years for someone else to be. Um, you know, to, to at least get to this level in which um, I've gotten to, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've been um, nominated since 2013 and um, the last two seasons, last two years, my name has started to move up and it surprised me because only because, you know, as Bengal players, you automatically think that no one's going to pay attention to your career. So for the voters and, and to be to, to pay attention and to move me in the last two seat, last two years to semifinalists, to this season, the finalists, it means so much to so many people, not just myself, my family members, friends, former teammates, and and the biggest the biggest of all are the Bengal fans who, as you know, have suffered a lot through, you know, a lot of football and um, for what they feel like the lack of national recognition for their current guys and former guys. So it means a lot, man. I help present um, – I help present – Mawai. How do I plug out? Kevin Mawai. Zach Thomas was a big part of Kevin Wise case, talking about how they went against each other. Mm-hmm. Michael Strahan is talking a, a lot about you. How much do you know him? How much did you play against him? 
what do you think has spurred him to be so articulate about your game? Just being honest, man. You know, and, and um, I played Mike. I played against Mike twice, and uh, but met him a, a lot of times at the Pro Bowl. Played against him a lot of times at the Pro Bowl, but he didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? And uh, for him to do that, of a guy, you know, I always say these defensive guys have to be uh, very secure in themselves to to brag about offensive linemen. And and uh, we know Michael is, is so successful in football, has been so successful um, outside of football. For him to come out and say the things that he did and, and what Warren Sapp has said about me in the past, to me, that's that's just those are big blessings for me. Um, I appreciate it so much because again, they don't have to say that. You know what I mean? And um, for him to come out and say the things that he said and did a video for me, um, um, to me, it's just a blessing, a blessing for me and my family. Willie, is it surprising when you hear those things from guys like that, that that you played against, or is that something that they maybe said to you after a game at some point, or let you know while you were playing, or does it come as a shock when you hear words like that about your level of play? Man, I, I in 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 '92, my senior year of high school. I was number one lineman in the country and, and the first Alabama lineman, lineman Alabama to win player of the year. Um, my So my senior year, I got invited to watch a um, HBCU bowl game between Texas Southern and Alabama State. So it was down, it's down in the last stadium in Mobile, Alabama, where I'm from. Um, I go to the game. I watch this defensive end for Texas Southern get like four and a half, five sacks. He was killing these guys. And I was like, God, dog, that, that guy should be playing like in a major college. And uh, so fast forward, 92, fast forward, 97, my second in the league, we're playing the Giants. And um, I always read the bios of guys I faced. So I go through and say, God, dog, I got to face this guy straight hand. They're talking about. And uh, I go in the bio and it says Texas Southern. And I said, oh, damn, that's a dude I, I just saw <laughs> when I was a senior in high school. Five years before. I, I was scared as hell of this dude when I saw him in high school. Like, God, dog, this is this dude. So playing against Mike, man, you know, Mike, Mike had one of the best bull rushes of all time. He and Reggie White, you know, Reggie with the hump move, but, but Michael with the with his bull rush is unbelievable. But to, to like I say, to I so we played him, actually played him three times. The preseason game, he didn't really play that much. Um, and I got hurt in the preseason game and I was walking through the tunnel. And he he stopped me. For some reason, he was going in the tunnel. He wasn't dressed. He said, Hey man, I've watched your career and you're one of the best guys out there. To, when he when he told me when he told me that was the equivalent when when Eric Williams, a guy who I think was, was like my hero, told me the exact same thing five years later. When Michael Strahan told me in the tunnel, my second or third in the league, that I was one of the best players he's seen. That It surprised me then, and and, and, it's, and it doesn't surprise me now because I, I believe my career is up there with, with all those guys too. But just to hear one of your peers, an all-time great, say it is just I'm just, grat- I'm just, I'm just grateful, man. So he's one of 15 Hall of Fame edge rushers that you played against. You gave up one sack in those games. It was with 19 seconds left against the Bills to Bruce Matthews in a game that you guys were losing by two touchdowns. Bruce Smith, yes. Bruce Bruce Smith, Smith, sorry. Bruce Matthews. I'm having a name field day here. (laughs) Bruce Smith. Uh, You remember that sack? And and, uh, how much do you regret that one? I have it on phone on my my video because so (laughs) – About um, I started my Willie Anderson Lineman Academy in 2016 um, here in Atlanta. And so I called the Bengals, and the Bengals gave me a hard drive of all my games. So I had the hard drive sitting right here in my office of all my games. So I started posting videos. I, I've been telling people, you know, you know every every offseason, you know, you, you, you see 
the Reggie White video spreads around the internet where he's just destroying everybody for like three, four, five minutes. <laughs> and so I came out and said uh, about five years, I said, man, you know, I played Reggie and you know, I, I, I love, I, I wanted to be as a kid, I wanted to be Reggie White or Bruce Smith. You know, I love this man, you know, you know, turning to God because of Reggie Smith, Reggie White in, in college. But I said on Twitter, I said, hey man, you know, I shut Reggie Smith, Reggie White down. People are like, yeah, right. I said, okay, now I say, when, when, I, when I post the video, don't be surprised. So I started posting the videos and I, I post, I, I've not, I haven't posted the Bruce Smith video, but I posted the video, Strahan posted the video of uh, Julius Peppers, posted Reggie White's video. And I was doing it just for teaching purposes. And so I went through all the games and we counted up uh, at first 13 sacks. I said, oh, that, that can't be right. But then I went through it again about six months later, I found three more sites. I found I found a couple of sites my rookie year that I didn't count. <laughs> so it was 16 sites that I've given up in 13 years. And I tell people all the time, I say, if you think I'm lying, go ask the players I'm talking about. Go ask Javon Curtis. Go ask Julius Peppers. Ask Jason Taylor. Ask Warren Sapp. I faced these guys. And it just, you know, during my time when I was playing, especially in the early mid-90s, we were losing. So I couldn't be the guy that said, hey, man, we just lost, but hey, I shut my guy down, <laughs> you know, you know, you'd be considered a jerk. So I played the, I played the role of the offensive lineman, you know, stay humble. Don't talk about yourself and you know someone, someone else would do it for you. But unfortunately for me, no one was doing it for me. So I started doing it, you know, in the course of just teaching through my academy on Twitter and posting videos and people started to say, oh man, he, he wasn't lying. And sometimes I would go and at some of the guys I, I would at, you know, Jason Taylor, I would at Julius Pepper. So I'm like, if they, if they wanted to come and say he's lying, they could have said it a thousand times because I've, I've been posting for five years of all the videos. One of the best offensive linemen to play the game, Willie Anderson, our guest. And it, what you're describing there, Willie, is incredible in and of itself. Uh, what I find even more outstanding is you went, I believe there's a three-season stretch of your career where across the entire league, you did not allow a single sack over in a three-year span and one quarterback pressure, one quarterback pressure. So you're not even allowing guys to get near the quarterback, let alone sack them. Yeah, that was 99 through 01. So people might say, well, we can't believe that. Well, I found out through Twitter and Bengals fans, um, the Bengals fans, they go so hard for us on social media. So Pro Football Focus, in the midst of us talking one day on Twitter, Pro Football Focus came out and said, yeah, we started tracking – um, Willie's career in 2006, along with other guys. So when I said the 99 through 01, no sacks, one pressure. For one, Paul Alexander, my offensive line coach, he has the stats because the Bengals wanted everybody, to, you know, the coaches to have their stats to turn in. And um, in 06, the so Pro Football Focus, they come out on Twitter and they say um, my 2006 season was like the fourth best all time behind the kid, uh, Megatroni at um, the Ravens, number one. John De Ogden's 2006 season was number two. And my teammate, Andrew Whitworth, his 2011 season was number three. I was four. That was my, my 11 seasons as far as, you know, I went through the whole season, I gave up um, 11 pressures my my 11 season. So I tell people, so, you know, if I was doing that and what Pro Football Focus put out, what my last season with the Ravens was, was, was one of the all-time great seasons, pass blocking and run blocking, according to them, when I was younger, I had to be playing better when I was 24 years old. And, you know, that's why I, I was getting my contracts from the Bengals, but we weren't winning. So I wasn't getting any individual 
um, stats. I mean, any, any, any individual awards, I'm sorry. So I know uh, offensive linemen are a big fraternity. Is there a subset of that amongst right tackles? Uh, because another thing you did was got the, got the Pro Bowls and got the All-Pros at a time where sometimes they weren't splitting right tackles and left tackles, mm-hmm, and you were getting them anyway when left tackles were, were the guys who usually got the attention. So Mitch Schwartz and I, um, the great uh, tackle from the, from the Kansas City Chiefs, we talked about this a couple of years ago uh, when his contract was up. And uh, his brother, um, you know, we were all talking about it, just about how people in the media perceive right tackle. So if like if if I'm playing right tackle, like Tristan works right now for the for the, the, the Bucks, if Tom Brady turns his head to the left, he can't see Tristan Works nor the defensive end. So now that becomes his blind side. Everyone got the whole blind side thing, you know, and rightfully so when Lawrence Taylor, one of the all-time greatest guys ever, he was he was destroying the league and everybody said, okay, we need a left tackle. But in the mid-90s, when I came into the league in the 2000s especially, the league changed. The league became a pass. I always say when the, when the Bengals paid Carson Palmer $100 million, our goal went from getting Corey Dillon 100-yard games to protect Carson at all costs. <laughs> you know, So by that fact, defenses started putting guys everywhere. You know what I mean? You got not just Dwight Freeney, you got Robert Mathis. You know what I mean? You got, you got guys on both sides. In the NFL now, you got to have – you got to have some inside guards because you got guys like that, that, that freak of nature out there with the Rams, Aaron Donald. They're coming from everywhere. And that started to me late 90s in my career to where, you know, I, I, you know, there were some seasons that I played. I played in the same division as John DeOgden and, and a lot of these guys um, where there were some seasons where over the right side, we had better rushers with better numbers over our side. Like, if you ever seen my 2006 season, that year I played against Julius Peppers, um, uh, uh, Allen from Kansas City Chiefs, Derek Burgess. Um, it was a crazy list. Robert Mathis was a crazy list of guys that all the right tackles that year, those guys that played over top of us were all leading the leads in sacks. You know what I mean? So when you say that, the blind side versus love, there has been a bias and I say all the time, I played in a golden era of tackles. You know, we all were fighting for the same Pro Bowl spots and the same All-Pro spots, but only two or three of us can go. So it, it, was, it was an unbelievable time for tackles during that time. So I always felt as a right tackle for me to be getting that kind of love and being considered one of the top five guys in the league, that that showed you that during my era, I was one of the best guys you know, in my era. Willie, I can sit here and listen to you talk about going up against these great pass rushers all day. Uh, you know, you always hear that offensive linemen they love to run block first because that's where you're the aggressor you're firing off the ball um you obviously were a great pass protector and run blocker do you have to learn to love the pass blocking part of it or was that something that that was always in you that you liked the strategy of it you liked learning guys moves and what their tendencies were and it was something that you always enjoyed i say right now um, offensive lineman skill of pass blocking is the hardest skill in all of football to learn. You know, when, when dads and or moms take their boys and girls outside to play football, no one plays blocking. <laughs> <You know, they, laughs> no one plays blocking. They play catch. They want to be defenders. They want to be a quarterback, quarterback. No one goes outside to play. Let's, let's go block. <laughs> so that's one of the hardest skills to learn. Like, so when you find guys who are, who are great at it, it's a skill set that 
it seemed like all the great guys have the same, you know, the same kind of skill set. You know, you know, you have the the guys who are calm with the calm demeanors. You know, what I mean, you, you you have guys who can be aggressive by not being too overly aggressive. You know, we're playing against guys. I played at 340 pounds. I'm playing against guys who are way better athletes than me than I am. Have to, and having to figure out their movements and spin moves, like like Robert Mathis and I, we, we joke all the time. He got me with a sack, man. He beat me with a with a sack one time. He did an outside spin move. I was like 30 years old, my 10th year in the league, and I have never seen any of these guys I faced do an outside spin move. Well, they couldn't do it because they were all six foot six. Matthew was six foot one. Like if Peppers tried that, he'd tear his damn knees up <laughs> trying that move. So at that point in my career, I have never seen anybody do a fake inside move on me, and I go to punch him. He spins off my back. <laughs> you're gonna sack. Well, I had, I had never faced a guy who was six feet tall as a, as, a, as, a, as a defender in the league my whole entire time. So when Mattis came in the league, I was like, yep, it's about time for me to start getting out the damn league because these guys are <laughs> here at 6'1", 245 pounds rushing. Like, he's a way better athlete than I am. You know what I mean? So having to go against guys like that and defend is one of the toughest skills in all of sports, I think. I think it's inter- baseball is next. I think this interview is a great sales pitch for the the Willie Anderson Lineman Academy that you have there in Atlanta. Oh. <laughs> and I'm scrolling through Willie trying to find these videos of you going against guys. And I, I'm all the way back to December 17th, 2021, on your uh, on your your Twitter, and I see that you posted a congratulations to Mo Clipper, a guy you worked with who signed with Josh Heupel in Tennessee. So I wanted to ask you this as a lineman coach about a specific instance where you work with someone, I know you work with others, that got an SEC scholarship. How rewarding is that when you work with a guy and you see him go on to, to big things and get to meet their dreams? That's why I do it, man. People ask me all the time, say, why do you, why, why you don't go do pro? I, I train pro guys, and but I started off doing this. I wanted to make an impact on kids. And I, I just said, how cool would it be if Willie Anderson dealt with kids? Now, if, if I dealt with NFL players, I had NFL players in my gym, People across the country would be blowing me up with interviews and, and videos because NFL media love to see NFL linemen. Well, I take pride in the fact that I got a guy by the name, you know, guys like you said, Mo Clipper and um, Brent. I, I have about seven guys every year go to college. This year we got we got ten guys going to colleges, all different levels, um, from, from Georgia Tech to Tennessee to North Carolina. Um, we got guys to Lehigh, um, Georgia. And all these kids who started with me, they started with me as ninth graders. They had no offers, no nothing. Some was too big, some was too small. And we put about seven to 10 kids every year into college. Um, Take a guy by, by the answer, Paris Johnson up at, up at uh, Ohio State. I had Paris Johnson as a ninth grader. He couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time. And he had to come down to Cincinnati. From Cincinnati, he come to stay with me for, you know, and stay at my house with me about for weeks at a time. And Paris grew to be the number one lineman in the country. Went to Ohio State two years ago. He's a starting right guard for them now. He'd be the starting left tackle for them. Um, guys like PJ and the guys, you know, like Mo and these guys you name, you know, that that gives me a joy more than my own career. Because um, I used to pray to God, man, down in Mobile, Alabama, that that Oprah Winfrey or Michael Jordan, anybody come help us and show us how to make it out of our situations. And for me to be able to do that with, with, along with my other coaches in my academy, that's my biggest joy. Now, I probably make way more money and be way more famous if I had only NFL guys. But my joy is into kids, man, and to making guys like like Mo had nothing two years ago. Now he's going to freaking Tennessee. Um, that's big for me. It's big for his family, um, and, and I just enjoy doing it.
Willie Anderson has been our guest, Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist with uh, the selection process coming up on Tuesday. Willie, best of luck with everything. Uh, the resume speaks for itself, and uh, hopefully this is not the, the last time we have you on the show. We appreciate this. This is a great, great chat. Thanks. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Jeff Hoffman told me to tell you, hey. Oh, cool. Well, I look forward to seeing yeah. him. On the, I'm sure he's going to do a great job for you. We're hoping for it. Yeah. Thank you, Willie. We appreciate you, man. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Willie Anderson has been our guest. Wow. Uh, the stats I, are We could have got a lot more. A lot more. He, no doubt. No I, doubt. I wonder, we didn't get a chance to ask him about the modern-day Bengals. He, he's terrific. We'll have him back on. I'm seeing here <laughs> another one of his players signed with uh, Eddie George at TSU that he oh, trained nice. at, at his academy. Very so cool. it's, it's very cool to see all these success stories. He's one of two offensive linemen who are finalists. It's he and Boselli, right? Yes. Cool. We've had them both on this week. Yep, we have. Uh, coming up, we get our upset picks for the weekend. We've got straight upsets for the underdogs going into Wild Card Weekend. We'll tell you about that. Paul has some props to follow as well from Wild Card Weekend that kicks off tomorrow. It's straight ahead on Outkick 360. Time for some upset picks across Wild Card Weekend. FanDuel.com slash OK360 is where you can find the new offer, $5. And uh, that's the minimum bet. $5 to win $150 on any team to just straight win in the playoffs this coming weekend. FanDuel.com slash OK360. My upset picks for the weekend. Let's start with Chad's favorite game. Oh, yes. I think the Raiders win tomorrow over the Bengals. Uh, and pretty cut and dry for me. Since he has firepower, uh, they also uh, they allow sacks. Four to six on average per game as of late. And they also turn the football over. The Raiders play practically everyone close, and they can apply a lot of heat on quarterbacks with four rushers. That allows them to drop seven. Waller is back. Jacobs is back. Renfro is a star in the making for the NFL. Uh, their interim head coach is too, by the way, Rich Passaccia. Uh, the winner of the Raiders-Bengals is going to have to run the ball well, and I feel as though there has been a transition of Zach Taylor going more through Burrow than the run game, and I think, and I'm where I'm picking the upset is Josh Jacobs gets rolling tomorrow against the Bengals defense. This is a tight, close game. This is no blowout, but I'm taking the Raiders to win, and I think it could come down to a fourth down stop by an aggressive Zach Taylor that does the trick. And then the 49ers over the Cowboys. Which team enters the playoffs hot? It's the 49ers. I, I realize that we've seen Dallas put up 50-plus, and they have the number one offense in the league. Um, I'm also looking at their opponents down the stretch, and I, I take what happened last week against Philly and who they were playing versus who Dallas was playing uh, as a wash there. But here's, here's San Fran. They've beaten the Rams twice. They beat the Eagles and the Bengals. They had close losses to the Packers, the Cardinals, and the Titans, and they go into the postseason on the road with a lot of different options to choose from with their offense. And with Jimmy Garoppolo playing well last week and getting into the postseason – I'm taking San Fran on the road, Paul. Sound reasoning all around. I've got uh, three props here. I think uh, first one's pretty easy. Lowest scoring team in wild card round. Pittsburgh Steelers have trouble moving the ball. They throw very short passes, and Kansas City's defense is pretty good. That's plus 310. Highest scoring game, I, I'm with you. I think Raiders-Bengals is going to be close. I think it's going to be close with a lot of points scored. Um, I think both quarterbacks are, are gonna gonna do things. I, and I think uh, both running backs are gonna do things. That's plus 350. 
Here's my uh, out on a limb pick. I, I think Gronk is going to pick up a lot of the slack for Tom Brady in this game. And at plus 2,500, I'm putting a couple bucks on Rob Gronkowski to be the leading yardage receiver this weekend. Plus 2,500. Pretty big payout if you just put a couple down. PK's weekend props, fanduel.com slash OK360 is where you can go for those and the upset picks as well. Speaking of all the games, one big thing on every NFL game for Wild Card Weekend. That's where we start as we kick off hour number two. Bobby Carpenter will join us during the hour. Uh, and then later, we get into some discussion about the stars in the making across the NFL. Hang with us on Outkick 360.